The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, Story City. My name is Jesse Gibbs, and I have the pleasure of doing the scripture reading today for y'all. If you can stand with me, if you're able to, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. Jesus came near and said to them all, to said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Crushed it, Jesse. Good job, man. Hey, good morning, church. All right. Hey, yeah, let's give Jesse a round of applause. Love it, love it, love it. Well, good morning, church. My name is Justin. I have the privilege and the honor of serving as one of your pastors here. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited for this morning. And I, I hope you are too. I, I love our scripture reading for this morning. Uh, you know, a lot of times we, uh, we, we get something lengthy and bulky. And today it was just nice and sweet. But it's something that actually we get to unpack. There's a lot a lot there. And so there's something exciting for us as we get to dig into the Word of God this morning and we get to do some, some learning together in community. And so uh, I'm looking forward, I hope you are too, one of the things as we get into the Word of God, one of the things isn't just for us to understand the Word more or to understand God even more. It's not just for our, for our intellect. As we enter into the word, as we sit in worship and fellowship together in church, in community, and we submit ourselves before the word of God, uh, we actually get to encounter God. And so this morning, I just want to lead in a space of expectation, an expectation that we would, that we would submit our hearts before the word of God, an expectation that we would encounter to learn something from him, but also in the, in the, in the learning that we get to encounter the person of God. We're in a series right now called Go and Be the Church. We're learning what it means for us to, to be the church, not just as an institution, but as we recognize that the church is a, is a collective body that meets in a space. It is also personally us as we actively walk out as, as, as Jesus' bride, as the church, so are we. And so we are learning what it means to be the church. We're learning what it means for Story City to be the church. And and we're learning why it is at the end of each of our services, we end with a commissioning of go be the church. And if you've ever wondered uh, who is Story City, not just the what is Story City, but as a collective body, who is Story City? What does it mean for, to be a part of this community, which I hope that you would think about for yourself to go beyond just as an attender, but also to be thinking, what does it mean to be a part of this community? If you've ever wondered what that is, our commitment as a church body is, is, is a few things. One, it's we are gospel-centric. This is in our preaching. We are committed to Scripture, we, we are committed to faithful apprenticeship. That is that we give it our all to follow Jesus 
in community. We're, we're committed to committed care from our missional communities to our care ministry, to taking care of our community outside and inside these doors. We're committed to unceasing prayer. No one's kind of self-explanatory. Unceasing prayer, committing ourselves around prayer. Not just, I love, as Pastor Jared shared with, with our staff last week, prayer is not just a transition piece in church. It is an unceasing meditative space for our hearts and contemplation. We are committed to vertical worship. Our worship, as excellent as it is, isn't just to sound good and to, to, to try and draw in masses with the quality. It is for one, pers- for one purpose, and that is to glorify God and in expression be able to enter into a space of fellowship with God. Our worship is vertical, and we are committed to Reformed theology. And what that means is that we set ourselves on something that is older than ourselves to guide us in our pursuit of understanding God. We, we call these things our church pillars. It's what we hold ourselves up with. It's what we as a congregation are committed to and what we pursue. This is how we would say this church carries out God's mission. And this is important because this morning's scripture is about the Great Commission. And, and that's what we are going to talk about this morning. So if this is how we're going to go after the mission together, then we need to sit in simply even identifying, well, what is this mission? Those are nice things. Those are, those are nice pillars but to, to, for your approach to attack and go after the mission. But what is this mission? What is this commissioning so as we lean into this mor- the, the sermon this morning, I want to identify that there's, there's a handful of people in this room. We all don't come from the same background and the same stories, the same churches, the same upbringings. There's a lot of people with a variety of different life behind them in this room. And, and for some of you, this is your first to- one of your first times in church, and maybe it is even your first time in church, and you're just checking out this Jesus church thing. For others, you're wrestling to figure out where you land with God. So you're just trying to figure some stuff out. For others, you'd say you're committed in a relationship with Jesus and the church, and you're here because you realize that you want more of him. If, if you're new to things that we have to say this morning, I hope that it would be an invitation into what it means to be a part of God's church, God's community. That as we speak, it's kind of like a, a peek behind the curtain, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be one of his beloved? What does it mean to be a part of a church? If you're checking things out, if you're wrestling with God, hopefully this can bring some clarity for you and maybe even give you a, a slight nudge into community and relationship. For those of you who'd say that you're committed, this is our calling this morning. With that, if you remember nothing else from this morning, as there's going to be a plethora of things to uncover and talk about. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this. If you write nothing else down, I want you to write this down. Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission. Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission. Now, I want to break this down and what this means. We read, we read in the passage earlier that for some of some, for some of those of who have heard and called the Great Commission, maybe you've been around churches for a while, you've heard the Great Commission before, uh, maybe you've even heard it like a thousand times. If you've ever chirp, shot, chirp, chirp, 
church shopped before. If you've ever church shopped before, you've probably heard of the Great Commission. In fact, you've probably even looked up churches to see what their mission is, and it's just some type of rebranding of the Great Commission, right? Well, thank God, because we do need it to be our mission. Uh, but uh, this, this commissioning, what is this commissioning? A commission is to be given authority to carry out a command, a mission or a duty is to be given the authority. That it's more than just being sent on a mission. Anybody can be sent on a mission. I need you to go do this errand. I need you to go do this thing. There's a difference when mom sends you to the store and says, I need you to go grab this thing. There's something different when mom gives you her card and sends you to the store. It's like, well, I could buy anything. And then you start texting mom, hey, can I get that Kool-Aid? Like, there's just... There's just different, you know, there's a difference when you've been commissioned. Or I think for our military or for our, for our police officers, there's a difference in being sent on a mission of duty to go do something and one that's been commissioned as an officer to uphold and be a voice for the representative and they can speak on behalf of something that's greater than themselves and they can only be commissioned by that greater entity. So this commissioning, a commission is to be given authority to carry out a command, mission, or duty. And so authority to make decisions, authority to command, authority to move. So when we read in our passage this morning, in Matthew 28, in verse 18, Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And anytime we see a therefore in scripture, we always have to ask, what's that therefore? Therefore, right? What's that therefore? Therefore, it's there to say all authority. And all the authority that Jesus says that has all been given to him in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples. So this commissioning, it's a commissioning because Jesus is claiming all authority that has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He is that authority. So when he says go, it is a commissioning, not just to say, get moving, get going. It's to say, in this authority, go. In this authority, there's a passing of authority of Jesus. In a lot of church cultures, we have split the authority and the mission. We keep authority on one side, we keep the mission on other. We swing hard one way with go for the authority that the church community just focuses on what they can do with the authority. Man, this church, we're just going to focus in on what it means to have the authority of Jesus, to be gifted in the Spirit. And, and it's just unearthing and going deeper about these powers and authorities that we have in this authority. And or the pendulum can swing to the other side. That is, we are a mission-first church. It's all about the mission. And we don't really speak about the authority because we don't really understand the giftings and the authority that it comes with. And so we, we sit in just the mission. Go save the lost. It's hard, but the, the truth is you can't have one without the other. As we see in the Great Commission, there is an authority to go. There is a, there is a commissioning to a mission. And that is what we're going to unravel, unravel this morning. Because do you know that we are not, we are not given power for no reason? We are given authority for a purpose. God has a purpose for his authority, and that is to carry out the mission. So as we try and understand this, Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission, the first note that I want you to kind of to step into this and under, understand unraveling is that we have been given authority 
to finish the mission. We have been given authority to finish the mission. Now, what do I mean by that? We are not plan B. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. Okay, let's just, let's just wrestle with that for a second. It is finished. And yet, we're in this space that we would call this already not yet. There's the space of, well, he's already completed everything, right? Then why aren't we in heaven? Because it's still, it's still unraveling. This is why we can say, we are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We are in the midst of God's kingdom actively coming. And so, so when it comes to this, this authority, when it comes to sustaining this mission or carrying out this mission, we're not plan B. When Jesus died on the cross, said it's a finish, he resurrected, spent time with his disciples, and then he ascended, Jesus was not like mid-sentence and was like, wait, why am I going? Why am I going? He did it on purpose. He commissioned his church. The church is the plan. You, me, us, the church is God's plan to carry out the mission to the finish line. He is that finish line at his return. And, and it is us, it is the church's obligation, it is the church's mission, it is the church's commissioning to carry this out to that finish. So what is this authority? In John 3.35, Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So we see again Jesus with all authority. In John 15, 15, says, no longer do I call you servants. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. It's the pathway of, in this discipleship, I am making known to you this authority, this mission, and what it's all about. Paul looks back and he can, which is, enables him to be able to write in Romans 8.17. And if children of God, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 16.19 when, when he's speaking to his disciples and he's speaking of the church and he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Power. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You carry the authority of the king, carry the authority of Jesus, all authority. All, and there's, this should stir something in us. One that is, okay, there's something more here. A stirring of maybe even a little bit of uncomfortableness because we know that it's beyond us. Who am I to have this authority? And it should, it should embark us onto even trying to understand more what this authority is. But we cannot just get encaptured in, in with thinking it's all about the authority, so we have, to, we have to just manifest this authority. We walk forward even into the mystery of this authority. Why? Because it's not our authority. It's his authority. And so he's going he's gonna to make it known as we need. And there's, there's so much more about, into this authority that we step in faith. But here's what's important. If it's his authority, if it's his commissioning to carry out a mission, then to understand the mission is to understand his mission. 
If it's his authority, his mission, and we are the ones carrying it out, bringing it to the finish line, then we also need to unearth what was Jesus' mission. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There's, this, this passage has been used in so many different ways. So I'm not going to sit here and say this is the declarative statement of what Jesus meant when he said this. But I can at least unearth it for us and we can learn about these words in context. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This word seek here is the Greek word zeteo. It means to seek in order to find. To seek in order to find. Now, this matters because there's a difference in like... Just coming upon something, finding something, or setting out and go, I hope I find something, versus I'm going to unearth the world to find this. In other words, there's a lot of you know that I have a three-year-old, right? His name's Nolan. He runs around this building as if he owns the place. Downside of being a pastor's kid, downside of actually living at church. But this kid, like, he, he, he thinks everyone's a friend, Okay, when we walk in, there's a stranger across the street. He's like, friend? And I have to walk that balance as a parent of like, well, I don't want you to be afraid of strangers. But at the same time, like, don't get in the car with strangers. Okay, so I got to walk that balance. But he sees everybody, he sees everybody as a friend. And I love our church community. So many of you have just loved on him and you will play with him, and, which is all he ever desires. And, uh, and you, help, you help me, you co-parent with me. And I love that. But there are times that he's in church with me, and, uh, and I'm talking, I'm doing something, something has my attention, and he will usually hold my leg, but then he'll see a friend. And without knowing it, that he will run off, and people will take ownership, and I love it, and hear me, I need it, <laughs> okay? And, and, and there will be those who will, who will say, awesome, I'm gonna take care of Nolan for, I'm gonna go play with him on the lawn, I'm gonna go do these things. But I don't know that, so I look down after doing, and I'm like, where'd my kid go? And I'm running around the building, unearthing everything to try and find my child. I'm inquiring, have you seen Nolan? Have you seen Nolan? And everyone's like, well, I think I saw him here. And I think, I'm like, this kid has gotten everywhere. And I'm, look, I'm, I'm breaking into rooms. I'm throwing things. Are you under a desk? Are you behind a curtain? Like, I'm looking everywhere for him, right? Until I can, because my heart is set on finding him, and I will seek high and low for him. And then, of course, I go out to the lawn, and there he is playing catch and Spider-Man and all the other things that he's doing, and I'm like, you were here the whole time, which is completely different than the game that he loves to play at home called hide-and-seek. When we're at home playing hide-and-seek, I'm not really seeking, (laughs) partially because I go, I'm going to count to 10, you go hide. And like, Guys, I've been playing hide-and-seek much longer than him, okay? <laughs> so one, I'm a little bit more skill-inclined at the game. But two, he doesn't necessarily know how to hide yet. And so he finds a spot, and, uh, and I see him. I walk into the room. I see him. doesn't take long of finding because also what happens is, is the moment that I go, oh, where, oh, where, oh, where is Nolan? Oh, where, oh, where, oh, where is Nolan? Oh, where, oh, where, oh, where is Nolan? Where could Nolan be? As soon as I, I, sometimes I don't even need to finish the song. He's like, I'm right here, Dad. <laughs> and I'm like, 
you don't understand the game. <laughs> and I was like, this is why I have more confidence in this game than you. But almost always, like, Dad, I'm, I'm right here. I, every time. There is a difference between this game of hide and seek and what it means to actually seek my child. This, this word seek is zeteo. It's the unearthing of. It's inferring something that consumes your thought. It requires meditation and inquiry to aim and strive after, to desire with all that you have. This is what it means for the son, for the mission to seek and save the lost. It is not, I will come to earth and those who find me, find me. Those who happen to come along the way. This is an intentional mission to seek and save the lost. Now, this, the second half, this save, uh, there's been a lot of different contexts. And we covered it a couple weeks ago when we said that Jesus is not in the, in the line of fire insurance. He's not just trying to not get you to go to hell, which is often what we think of what the salvation or to be saved can mean. But when we understand the context of that he's a shepherd, that he is a good God, that he desires relationship, that we are created with a purpose, that we are made in his image, that he, God, put on flesh to commune with us and to be with us, when we learn this, if we start to look at salvation a little bit different, that we are always intended to be in relationship with God, but in sin was that relationship broken, and so he came to seek and to save, to restore that relationship. That relationship happens to take place perfectly in heaven and a new earth. We weren't just saved to go to heaven. It is a salvation that is now, it is present, to be in relationship with Jesus so he came to seek and to save. So this is his mission. And, and one of my favorite the, modern theologians is a man named Thomas Oden. Thomas Oden, de, 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 he committed his life to unearthing. What did the early church say about things? I mean, we're talking 150 AD, and, and, and between 150 AD and 1200. What did the early church have to say about things? And not just trying to look at things from, from this far removed and looking back, but what were the early Christians thinking? He devoted his life. And so looking into this mission, Thomas Odin uh, studies Arrhenius and Athanasius. And here's what he has to say. These guys who lived around 200 AD. The renewed people of God after the resurrection were not a specific race or tribe or ethnic identity. First, already blown up a lot of how we view the church today. But a missionally reconstituted people who would be found reaching out for all peoples and all nations. The early church was always committed to outside its doors. The early church was always committed. Hey, where do you find the church? The church is reaching out. Where do you find the church? How do I know that it's the Christian church? Because they're reaching out. This is something that they reconstituted themselves for. It is what they were resolute for, that they understood that this mission, their commissioning, wasn't just to be a holy huddle, but rather that they were empowered and missional in their gathering to seek and save the lost. So what does this mean? When we go back to our commissioning, to, uh, to, our, to the Great Commission. So we see in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
See, we have been given authority to finish the mission, and that mission is to go. It's to go. It is active. We were invited in. Now get this. Think about the calling. Think about the coming into relationship with Jesus. In the first place, we were invited in with a simple invitation of Jesus that was, come, follow me. That was the invitation. It wasn't come find me. It wasn't I'm going to stay here and I'm never moving. And so just, just if you just go to this place, you will find me and then we're going to stay here. That wasn't his invitation. Jesus was on mission. He was going from town to town. And his invitation to be a disciple of him was to come follow me. Not just in religious religion, not just in theology, but come with me. Come follow me as I am on mission. We were invited to come follow. So that means that even in the pursuit of Christ, it was and is active. In its beginning, and it is sustained through active pursuit of Jesus. Jesus' ministry was one of going. Where did he meet the woman at the well? As he was going. Where did he meet the woman who was bleeding? As he was going. Where did he meet the blind man that said, Son of David, have mercy on me? As he was going. Where did he meet these people? It was as he was going. This word go that we see in the, in the Great Commission in these verses, go therefore and make disciples, this word go actually is better translates as you were going. It, it, it actually means as you were going. They're in this word, it's already assumed to the believer that, it, that we joined Christ in his mission. And so even in this, it's not, this is the whole sentence structure, it's not even about the go which a lot of times churches can use to say, you're supposed to be active. You're supposed to be getting out these doors. You're supposed to be going across the oceans and getting to all different tribes and tongues. This is your mission. You see, it's to go. But even in this, in this uh, in the sentence structure, it's not about the go. It's about the making disciples. This word better translate as you're going. It's what is already presumed of us. Why? Because Jesus' invitation was to come follow me. And what was Jesus doing? He was on mission. And you were a part of his mission. So he's saying, I'm here for you, but, I, but the invitation is to come join me. So how do we keep this in front of us? Uh, and that's a lot. So, Justin, you mean to tell me it's not just about receiving? Justin, you mean to tell me it's not just about what God has for me, that to do this is also an invitation to do something more, that I'm supposed to, that there's this mission, there's this grand mission that I'm supposed to step into? Yeah, and praise God. So how do we keep this in front of us? Because I don't know if you're like me, but man, one, I'm, I'm already ADD. I know not all y'all, all y'all are. I, it's already hard for me to keep anything in front of me. But, but even with all the distractions in this world, the good distractions, the bad distractions, in fact, I think the greatest tool in the enemy's tool belt for us, especially in Western society in America isn't necessarily to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ a secret, is to keep us distracted from understanding the message and the gospel. Distracted with, with the things that consume our time, 
the things that consume our families, even the good things, the after-school curriculars, the, the sports, the, the workload and advancing in career, making, making ends meet, just having enough money to make rent and get groceries, all these things that we end up toiling with instead of being focused on the mission. And that's not a, that's not a guilt thing. That's not a condemnation thing. That's a I get it. So how do we keep this mission in front of us? Brennan Manning would say it like this. Following Jesus is not simply the most important thing in life. It is the only thing. See, I'm tempted to say Jesus is the most important thing in my life. I'm tempted to say if I was ever given the opportunity to choose between Jesus and anything else, I would choose Jesus. But to, to think in that mentality is to put a quantitative uh, language to who Jesus is. In fact, it actually puts Jesus in the ballpark to be, to be meddled with and to be restructured with. And Jesus is not somebody to be restructured with. This is the most important relationship that we have in our lives. We were designed to be with him. Our identity is with him. It's not a conversation about how important is he. He's just the only thing that consumes our heart and mind. Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission. And we have been given authority to finish the mission. So how do we do this? How do, we, how do we go then, and how do we make disciples? The next thing that I, that to, for us to try and track and understand, the next point that I have for us to, to, to dig into is to pursue Jesus is to pursue making disciples. Okay, it's the as you're going, we have been commissioned for a mission. There is this act of going as we go. But as we go, what? Just Am I supposed to just stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and just yell out some sort of good news? Am I just supposed to walk along and say, repent? What, what do I do? To pursue Jesus is to pursue making disciples. It doesn't say make converts. It doesn't say that you're supposed to invade a foreign country and force them to know Jesus. It says to make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded the church has often used this as a decree of missions to go across seas and to go into these spaces, these heathen territories, and, and just to declare the light and good news of Jesus. But when I look at this and when we read this structure, when we understand the relational heart of Jesus, when we understand the shepherding nature of God, we actually can see that when it says, go make disciples, and then it gives a roadmap to it, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not just saying, okay, make sure that you're preaching the Trinity. Make sure that when you dunk them in the water that you actually say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's actually something more than this, but we have to understand baptism. You see, even this, the baptism was always a sign of belonging. For, for the Christians, uh, for, the, for the Gentiles, it was their covenantal sign of community. Prior to this, for the Israelites, for a Jew, it was the Abrahamic covenant. It was circumcision. And so if you were a part of the family of, of the house of Abraham, you would get circumcised. Inside as a Gentile, it was that you would be baptized. And it was a sign of the church. It was a sign of God's greater community. You see, baptism was always a relational component. 
You see, it's why actually when we read this word and it says baptize in the name of, it's actually, it's actually better translated as baptize into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read your Bibles, you'll probably see a little subnote right underneath it. And then you go to your foot, footer and it says into. And it's like, why didn't you just put that at the beginning then? That makes so much more sense. <laughs> baptize not just in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I baptize you. You're a Christian in the name of Jesus. It's, it's, it's actually a relational invitation to come into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, it starts in the winter, where it starts with discipleship. We disciple into following Jesus. Discipleship is not what happens after Jesus. You think back to Jesus' early uh, call to his disciples, his first disciples. We see in the first three chapters of the book of John, what was Jesus' invitation to, to all of his disciples? Come, follow me. For some, they, they recognized immediately and they went. For others, they had to test it. For others, they needed a testimony of somebody else, a, bro a brother and a cousin. It was to come follow me. For some, they actually needed to walk with Jesus, sit with Jesus, be around Jesus before they realized the Messiah and committed to being his disciple. We disciple into relationships. It's, it's why here at Story City, you'll hear the language we, that we want people to believe. We want people to belong, sorry. We want people to belong before they believe. Belonging is what is the invitation of Jesus. I want you to belong at my table. I want you to come share in the catch. And then we can talk and we can begin discipleship. This is what we get to live in. There's a fantastic book out there that completely shifted my mentality of what discipling somebody, what conversion, what discipleship actually looks like. And it's, from, uh, it's in a book called Converse, Conversion and Discipleship. You can't have one without the other. It's by an author named Bill Hull. And he says in there, the gospel we preach determines the disciples we produce. The, the gospel we preach determines the disciples we produce. In other words, what he's saying is what you, what you catch them with is what you keep them with. And if you know any type of marketing or business strategy, it's true there too. Whatever you get brand loyalty with, whatever you catch them with, there, there is an, you have to try and maintain that. Otherwise, people will just jump to the next thing. And we see that as true in discipleship. Convert, the, the gospel we preach determines the disciples that we produce. So even on this mission, actually unearthing all the stuff that we've been earthing, what does it mean to be commissioned? What is this mission? What does it mean to seek and to save? It all matters in the gospel and how we go and do relationship in making disciples. In his book, in, uh, Conversion and Discipleship, Bill Hull actually, he maps out a few popular uh, gospel presentations that you're probably familiar with. Maybe you've seen, uh, uh, yeah, anyways, maybe you've seen them. So there's a few, and I, I put it up on a chart so that you guys can kind of follow along with this, but I'm going to go through it real simple. Maybe you want to do a screen grab. You can actually just Google uh, Bill Hull, and you can, you can find this in Google Images. But the first gospel, and maybe you're familiar with this, is the forgiveness-only gospel. 
It's a gospel that really just focuses in on and, 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 and just says there's a forgiveness of sins. God wants to have a relationship with you. He's a, he's a forgiver. There's nothing that you have done that can break relationship with him. You are forgiven. And it stops there. And, the church, and this gospel presentation is intentional because there's not, we don't want to distract it with anything else. We just want to focus on the forgiveness of God. But what ends up happening for the person that gets to know just alone the forgiveness of God, all of a sudden there's, there's, there's a, it creates a disciple that, say, that says, I have to maintain this forgiveness. If, if my relationship with God is based off of just forgiveness, that means I have to maintain this forgiveness. In fact, it pushes more towards a disciple of sin management than it is the person of Jesus. All of a sudden, it's, I have to keep going to church. I have to do right. I have to do these things so I can, so I can keep this forgiveness if that's all I've been told that of who Jesus is. He's just a forgiver. There's a liberal view, and a liberal view it me, meaning that it is one that where if the gospel is preached to say there's nothing sacred with God, he welcomes all people. A liberal view is to be one that is more open doors and shifted to be able to, to say, hey, we're going to bend uh, some, some standards because we want it to match what, for anybody to be able to be in relationship with God. And there's not a, a standard in which they hold. There's a, there's a gospel of prosperity where it, it becomes more about the claiming of what God has for you. Uh, it's the one that just sits in, God wants things for you, God has things for you. And so if you want these things, then come into a relationship with Jesus and Jesus will give these things. But what that tends to do is it produces a disciple who just looks as, at God as somebody who has something for them. It's actually something that becomes internalized for them of going, well, I just have things to claim of his instead of being empowered from him. There's a gospel uh, that, that is, is very popular in our culture that is a consumer gospel. It's the, it's, it's the churches that would pre- preach a gospel that would say, Here, we just want people to come. We just want people to show up and we're going to do big, extravagant just things just to get people here. And we're going to find things that would help you say, oh, I know my neighbor would want that so they can come here and get that thing. And it, what it does is it starts to produce a, a disciple that where, where we understand Jesus meets my needs. Jesus has these things for me, and so I come to understand as, as one that, that just does what I need for me. In fact, it builds a disciple that puts God in a box of preference. It builds a disciple that when something happens or is taught in the church community that they don't agree with or that causes pain and they move on because they believe that pain and repentance and difficulty, difficulty was never part of God's plan for them because God just meets needs. I, I think we get to see this a lot in our church hurt culture today. There's a gospel of, of conservative and what this does is it preaches a gospel of right theology this is the way that Jesus spoke. This is the right theology. And this is the only way. It's the church that would say you can only have this version of the Bible. And then what it produces in a disciple is it produces somebody who, who, where, where they need to believe what matters is more important than anything else that they could do. I just have to believe right. I have to go to these classes at my church. I have to upkeep all of these things because this is the only way to do faith. There is a kingdom gospel that he points out, which I think is really funny because it's like all these other ones, they have labels, and then it's like kingdom. It's like, who doesn't want the kingdom gospel? But I didn't write it. He did. There's a kingdom gospel 
It is the proclamation of the rule and reign of Christ over all of life. To know, follow, and obey Jesus is a, it's a holistic message that God permeates all things. And okay, yeah, we admit, okay, that sounds good. Well, what's wrong with some of these other churches? Listen, I'm not going to assume bad intent in these other gospel presentations. I get it. Because to do this kingdom gospel presentation, this, this, this message that is God wants to permeate all things. He wants to be the center of your attention. He wants all these things. It gets difficult. And it takes time. And it takes intentional relationship. And, and a lot of churches are just trying to keep it simple. They're trying to say, well, we can't do all of those things. So we need to just hit this one thing. We need to just hit forgiveness only. We need to reach the sinners. There's, we need to do the attractional because we're going to play the numbers game. If we can just get as many people here as possible, it increases the, the, the opportunity of seeing more people come into relationship with him. It's not because they intentionally want to do wrong. It's because it takes a lot of time and relationship to do the, the kingdom work to do the holistic work. In fact, Bill Hall would say that there's markings of this kind of disciple, that it would show that, that this, this, this type of disciple in the kingdom is one who is committing themselves to, to the community, that they're living in the community. That's not easy for, for a lot of people with their time and commitments. How do I get outside of my rhythm, out of my normal day, to actually be in the community? Bill Hall would say that the kingdom disciple is one who lives in the midst of diversity and ambiguity, that it requires to do life with those who don't think the same way as them. That's hard to do. I want to know my expectations of what I get out of others. I want people who are just like-minded with me. It makes it easy. But that's not the kingdom gospel that we're called to. He also says that, that growth is slow in the kingdom gospel because it has to permeate anything. This is the faith of a mustard seed. It's one that takes time to cultivate and grow. You can't focus in the 75% of, of the world. You have to focus in on the 25%. And if you can grow a disciple that grows disciples that grows disciples, you'll get to the 75%. So I say this, one, because I'm a nerd, okay? So I know for some of you, the last, like, five minutes is a glaze over your head, and you're like, why did we spend time on that? Listen, I'm a nerd, okay? I love this stuff. It opened my eyes to, if I'm going to be on mission, the, the gospel that is shared determines the disciple. And so if we're all called to go and be disciple makers then we have to know what is it that we're leading with in our, in our gospel presentation. What is it that we're leading with in doing life with others, in being relational with others? So it matters. Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission. We have been given authority to finish the mission and to pursue Jesus, to pursue making disciples. And I want to close with this. To be good teachers, we must be abiding students. To be good teachers, we must be abiding students. We can never stop being students. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to be in constant discipleship with others. That means we are discipling and we are being discipled. Every single believer should be in a discipleship relationship. Not one or the other, both. Every, every believer of Jesus should be discipling others and being discipled. Okay, and we lift up this whole thought of what a discipler is. It's somebody who knows all the answers. They're 10 years older. They have all these answers. No, it's doing life with. You know how jacked up Peter was? And yet he moved to lead the church, and he, and he was even rebuked by Paul. Like, it was a mess. 
There was no, there's no level of arrival. By the time you arrive, you're in heaven, my friend. It's inviting people into the mess of life, sharing our brokenness and letting others learn from our brokenness. Deci- go make disciples. It's not for some elevation of a person in church. There's not some test you have to pass. This is a commissioning to those who want Jesus. You are given authority. You are commissioned for a mission to make disciples and do relationship with others. In our pursuit of abiding Jesus, it is easy to ask ourselves, well, then what do we do and how do we keep this in front of us? And I just want to share this last piece with you. And that is, uh, uh, Dallas Willard, I think, puts it best in his book, The Spirit of Disciplines. Because in our, in our abiding, in our attempt to be disciples, we just try and look at, well, what did Jesus do and how do I do that? Which is kind of a simple question that we have to try and unpack. But, but Dallas Willard would say this about the approach. Asking ourselves, what would Jesus do when suddenly in the face of an important situation simply is not an adequate discipline or preparation to enable one to live as he lived? The secret of the easy yoke, then, is to learn from Christ how to live our total lives, how to invest all our time and all our energies of mind and body as he did. We must learn how to follow his preparations, the disciplines for, for life in God's rule that enabled him to receive the Father's constant, effective support while doing his will. He ends with this, and this is so good. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. Look, I love my WWJD bracelets. Like, they're cool. I like them. They're fun. Good conversation starters. I love them. But it's not enough. We, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? We should be asking ourselves, how would Jesus live? And let me live my life that way. Because I, I can live my life the way that Jesus, then I naturally do the things that he does. I respond the way that Jesus responded. Listen, friends. At the beginning of this series, Jared said, there is a way to be the church, and we are asked to be devoted to it. Jesus didn't leave us in ambiguity. He didn't leave us without a commissioning. He didn't even leave us without a map of how to do church with one another. Jesus was very clear. This is, this is how to do it, and this is what you're to strive for. This is what you're to go after. There is a way to be the church, and we are asked to be devoted to it. We got, let God consume our thoughts. Let God, let the person of Jesus consume our heart's desire that we would pursue to, to be in relation, pursue the things that, that, that he loves. And, and, and very practically, if Jesus' church is commissioned for a mission, very practically, we have a great opportunity because in six weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. In six weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. And this is so important because, look, Easter... There's a time in, in culture where people are more likely to, to come into community with, with church, with God. And honestly, it is around Easter. People are just more inclined. There's something special. I think that's why it's a set-apart holiday. It's not just something that we do. It's something that's set apart in, in expectations. People have a base expectation of what they would encounter on Easter. So I just want to encourage our congregation in two practical ways as we begin discipling, allowing our community to belong before they believe. Uh, Two practical steps. First, I want to ask you, would you consider writing down a name of somebody that you want to see take next steps in a relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking who do you want to see saved, 
Who do you want to make sure, like, doesn't go to that fiery place? I'm not, I'm not doing that, that thing. I'm asking relationally, who do you want to see take their next steps towards Jesus? And be intentional. Write that name down. Keep it in front of you. And be unceasing in prayer for that person. And the second thing that I want to encourage and challenge you with is, is Sunday, Easter's on a Sunday. I don't know if you guys know this. Easter's on a Sunday, okay? So there's something that's actually really organic and, and, and cool that we can do. And that is, I encourage you to hold an event on Saturday. It, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's having people over for games. Maybe you're in a volleyball league, and so you, you, you invite a bunch more people out to play volleyball. I, I don't know. It, you don't, it doesn't have to look a certain way. I just want to encourage you, invite people to be in community and relationship with you on that Saturday. To be able to create a space of natural invitation to what's happening the next day. Come do life with me tomorrow. It's not a bait and switch. It's not, how do I get as many people to come to this event as possible so that I can tell you about Jesus and go to Easter? That's what I'm saying. Create an intentional environment where people feel welcomed and invited to do life with you. And it happens that the next day is an invitational day to come to church with you. Invite people into community. Church, Jesus' church was commissioned for the mission. There is an authority and there is a purpose behind what God wants to do in our lives. Let us lean into the mission. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that at the end of this commissioning, in the end of this great commission, not only do do you proclaim the authority, not only do you pass the authority, Not only do you give us the map of relational making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching people to obey and calling them into your walk of life with the wholeness of your life, but you give a promise at the very end that says you will never leave us. You end the commissioning by saying, I will always be with you. And so I pray over every person in this room, no matter where they're at today, no matter where they're at in their journey, God, would you reveal yourself, would you make yourself known in their life that they would know that the God and creator sees them, knows them, wants them, and in all that they do, as much as they embark, embark from this place to go on their way, they do so with the presence of God who is for them and not against them, who has a commissioning upon their life and leads them every step of the way. That you didn't leave us when you said, come follow me. You are still with us. Let us walk in that authority and presence of Jesus. And everybody said with me, amen.